getting past the peak. We think that we hit the peak of community transmission in British Columbia probably this past weekend. New data also shows disturbing trends in hospitalization and who's most at risk from Omicron. Restriction uncertainty. At the end of the day, it's really hard to make business decisions. The frustration from businesses forced to close and what they can expect next week. And the fake nurse. What her guilty plea in an Ottawa court tells us about the charges she faces in B.C. You're watching Global B.C. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. BC's latest modeling data shows our province may have peaked when it comes to daily infections. And there is hope the case counts will start to decline over the next few weeks. But as Richard Zussman reports, we're still far from out of the woods, especially when it comes to hospitalizations. In a pandemic of peaks, there's some good news. We've started to see a decrease in the test positivity and in the numbers of cases of PCR positives. And some not-so-good news. As we're all on an upward trajectory in numbers of new people admitted to hospital per day. There are now more COVID-19 patients in hospital than ever before. 646 people. And that number expected to rise. Follow the top line to see hospitalizations are not expected to decrease until as late as late next week. It's going to be a challenging few weeks on our hospitals. We know that this is at, you know, the peak is coming at the same time that we're still seeing healthcare workers off ill. From January 3rd to 9th, 21,517 healthcare workers called in sick across BC. Even worse, January 10th and 11th, 11,010 healthcare workers called in sick on at least one of those days. Compared to years past, minus Interior and Island Health, in 2020, 8,802 people were sick. In 2021, 7,573. And this year, almost 15,000. Yes, it affects the healthcare system. But I want to encourage people, if they need to go to hospital, if they need care, to get that care. The shortages having an impact on healthcare delivery. Not only are nurses exhausted, because there are other areas in the system short-staffed, they are sometimes being forced to work in areas where they are unfamiliar. Not only are they knowing they're going into to work and they're going to be working short and they're going to have these huge patient loads and all this wondering how they're going to get it all done and keep patients safe. Now they don't even know where they're going to work or who they're going to be working with. And they're really concerned that they'll miss something. The modeling also painting this picture. The unvaccinated still at greatest risk. 12 times more likely to go to hospital, 27 times more likely to go to ICU, and 40 times more likely to die due to COVID. An encouragement to get boosters, especially if you're older than 70. There are still a significant number of people in risk groups who we are urging to get their booster, to call today, to go online today, to book your appointment today. An appointment that could prevent someone from adding to a growing list of COVID patients in hospital. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Well, as Richard mentioned, BC has broken a new daily hospitalization record, but it's partly because provincial reporting has changed. 646 people are in hospital, which is a jump of 112 since yesterday. 95 patients are in the ICU. Six more people have died from COVID complications in the last day. Active cases dropped just below 36,000. 
And with our province's limited testing, there are 2,275 new cases. All right, we'll bring in Keith Baldry now for an explanation of how hospitalizations are being reported now. Keith, uh, describe the change. Yeah, basically we're moving to a more comprehensive and straightforward system. We had been using what was called an epidemiological surveillance system. Now we're moving to a patient bed census system. The difference is more patients are included in the new system. Uh, people who are in there longer than 10 days weren't counted before. People from out of province, out of country who are in a BC hospital are now part of the count. As a result, a one-time adjustment, and it's a big adjustment. Take a look at the, how it breaks down by health authority. You can just see the changes in just one day. 304 hospitalizations in Fraser. That's the biggest one-day change of more than 50. Vancouver Coastal, those are the two most populous uh, health authorities, so no surprise there. Uh, and again, Vancouver Island actually went down under the new system. So it is a new form of counting. Uh, so we're going to be at a high hospitalization rate for some time. We're also going to be including on a more comprehensive basis what are called incidental cases. Those are people who go to hospital for various to get various medical treatment, broken arm, broken leg, a gallbladder procedure, whatever. And when they're in there, they test positive for COVID-19. They weren't always counted before, but now there are almost half the cases in hospital. And Dr. Henry says they are part of the count going forward. But right now, about 45% of the people in hospital at this point are people who are incidentally found to have COVID. It does have an impact on things like infection control practices in the hospital, um, but it does also give us a measure of where we are in terms of, of uh, impact. So this new system begins today in terms of counting. There's going to be a weekly update posted on the Centre for Disease Control website that will break down further what type of cases are in hospital, how many are direct COVID-19 cases, and how many are these so-called incidental cases. That'll be starting every Wednesday. The more we know, the better off we are. All right. Thanks, exactly. Keith. Well, many people were hoping Dr. Henry might give a hint at today's health briefing as to whether the restrictions imposed over the holiday break might finally be lifted next week. As the Matagahi reports, many hospitality and fitness center operators are banking on what that change might be. The regulars and loyal customers are there, but even for those who have, for the most part, managed to stay open during the latest round of restrictions, the impact is clear. The bottom line is, is that this has been our busiest time of the year, is that with the reduced amount of capacity and that the party sizes and that people scared of Omicron, we haven't been able to, uh, you know, basically have any additional parties anymore, any holiday parties, any Christmas parties and stuff like that. The Tap House here in Coquitlam operates as a neighbourhood pub. Because it serves hot food, it can stay open at a time when restrictions put in place last month have closed liquor primary clubs and also gyms. But the capacity limit and the cap on the people around the table is where the losses are here. It's very difficult to, to manage in this, this climate the fact that there could be further restrictions or we don't know. That uncertainty is always, is always difficult to manage. And with big events like the Super Bowl just weeks away, it was hoped by many in this industry that when Dr. Bonnie Henry and Health Minister Adrian Dix took the podium Friday, there would be some hint given on if the January 18th deadline for those restrictions would extend. Perhaps why it was asked by reporters three times. I gave you some sense today of where we are and we are in the process of looking at what is it that we need to do and what can we do uh, to change these things and, and um, look at the restrictions that are in place and are they needed anymore and I'll have more to say about that on Tuesday. 
Dr. Bonnie Henry did provide evidence that the Omicron cases may have peaked, but there was still no indication on next steps. Those are ongoing discussions, and I'll have more to say about this next week. Um, I'm going to defer the, the Tuesday question to Tuesday. Leaving the management, at least here, to carry on, adding the optimism going into the spring will keep them going through difficult times. Emadagahi, Global News. An Okanagan elementary school has been forced to temporarily close, not because of COVID cases, but because teachers don't feel safe. The North Okanagan Shuswap Teachers Association cites the fact that 40 of the 260 students at Armstrong Elementary, or about 15% of the student population, have been granted mask exemptions. That's prompted the district to declare a functional closure Friday and Monday because teachers at the school have exercised their right to refuse unsafe work. Most folks understand that mask wearing has become somewhat of a political issue as well. And so what we're saying is that uh, we, we need the school communities to come together, to all work together, to ensure that the provincial health order that is in place is uh, implemented. The BC Teachers Federation says it's not disputing that there are some students and staff who have valid reasons for a mask exemption, but it wants everyone who can wear a mask to follow public health orders and do so. Well, health officials are taking action to deal with those who paid vulnerable people on the downtown east side to get fraudulent COVID-19 passports for them. It was health care workers who first spotted... Coastal Health has confirmed at least a handful of people did obtain bogus BC vaccine cards through what it called deplorable behavior. And the health authority has put in safeguards to ensure it doesn't happen again. Our staff were able to pick this up because they know people in the neighborhood. We've now put in place processes to be able to thwart these attempts. And when we identify the names of people who've attempted to, to, uh, uh, commit uh, this type of fraud. We are passing them on to provincial officials so that these vac vaccination records are expunged and further action can be taken if warranted. Health officials have reported the suspected fraudulent cards to the province, but may also forward the files to police to follow up. A woman accused of posing as a nurse in B.C. and Ontario, even though she had no training, has pleaded guilty to seven charges related to her time in Ottawa. John Hua has the details and what happens next regarding charges she faces here in B.C. She pretended to be a nurse without the proper qualifications. On Friday, a tearful Bridget Clarou entered her plea in an Ottawa court. There are going to be some people who vilify her and, and speak of her being dangerous. So she's not a danger, but she has persisted. Guilty on seven counts, including impersonating a real nurse from British Columbia collecting under $5,000 under a false pretense with the intent to defraud, an assault with a weapon for administering needles into 12 patients. Without the proper qualifications, it becomes an assault, needle being a weapon, and uh, so she pled guilty to that on that basis. In court, Justice Robert Wadden heard from the agreed statement of facts. The 50-year-old fraudster committed the offences in Ottawa, getting jobs at multiple health facilities between February and August of last year. The issue is uh, how much time, if any, she should receive for her repeated behaviour. The Crown has indicated it will be seeking a sentence of 10 years in prison. Before that hearing, likely in early March, Clarou will undergo a mental health assessment. Bridget has done this more than once, obviously. 
And I think that uh, it's important that uh, that the judge um, appreciate what makes her tick. Clarou also faces charges in Vancouver, where she pretended to be a nurse at BC Women's Hospital between June 2020 and June 2021. I want to know how it happened. Tell me what went wrong. Tell me how you're fixing it. Tell me how it's never going to happen again. Gertan doesn't believe the Crown in Vancouver will want to waive charges to Ottawa. Still, he argues when it comes to sentencing, Clue's actions in both cities shouldn't be seen as separate offenses. The behavior in BC and Ottawa were one continuous event, in essence. That will be up for a judge to decide. Clue's next appearance on the Vancouver charges on February 9th. John Hua, Global News. A man who worked in a downtown Vancouver hair removal clinic is facing sex charges and police want to hear from any other potential victims. The crimes are alleged to have occurred at the Dermabella Clinic near Howe and Smythe Streets. 50-year-old Ali Agasardar is accused of sexually assaulting a woman during a laser hair removal appointment. He's also accused of photographing another woman while she was naked and receiving treatment. Both incidents are alleged to have happened in 2019. Vancouver police would like to hear from anyone with information they feel would be important to the investigation. A warning today from Vancouver police about a resurgent scam that's targeting seniors. Hi there, it's Chris from the courthouse. I'm uh, just picking up a package. It happened twice in one day this week. A Westside senior received a call saying a young relative had been in a car accident and needed thousands of dollars to get out of jail. A person then showed up at the senior's door and collected an envelope containing eight or $9,000 cash. In each case, the victims were in their 70s. Police say the scam is particularly concerning because the thieves are showing up at the senior's doorsteps. We are um, asking everyone to be cautious. We are asking people to speak to the elderly people in their lives, whether it's your grandparents, friends, parents. Um, If they get any types of calls like this, hang up, uh, call us, let us know, especially if there's like a call display. Similar cases have also been reported in Burnaby, Surrey, North Vancouver and Chilliwack. A Surrey man has now been charged in connection with a stabbing on board a SkyTrain last month. Transit police released security video from December 4th after a 67-year-old man boarded a train at Scott Road Station. When he tried to sit down, he accidentally bumped into another man who was about to sit in the same seat. The suspect demanded an apology, and in the ensuing altercation, the victim suffered serious but non-life-threatening stab wounds. A suspect was identified weeks later by transit officers during an unrelated matter. Siwakorn Wangchiroansap, a 19-year-old from Surrey, is charged with aggravated assault and possession of a weapon for a dangerous purpose. He's currently being held in custody. It appears the Port of Vancouver is backing off, for now, on a controversial policy for truckers we first told you about earlier this week. As part of its climate action plan, as of February 1st, the port was no longer going to allow access to any trucks more than 10 years old. Truckers said that would take dozens of big rigs out of the mix, putting drivers out of work and making supply chain problems even worse. Tonight, the port announced that because of the pandemic, recent flooding and those supply chain issues, it's postponing the start date slightly, although at this point it's not saying exactly for how long. B.C. Supreme Court says the tense 
can stay. What's next for Vancouver's Crab Park and its unhoused residents now that the city won't be able to evict them? That's in just over a minute. New video of a hero in the deadly Colorado fire. How he cleared out a Costco to save lives. And Australia scores an ace against tennis star Novak Djokovic. The diplomatic move that might disqualify him from the Australian Open after all. Right now, though, it's being called a victory of sorts for the homeless in Vancouver. A judge has turned down the park board's attempt to remove campers from Crab Park on the downtown waterfront. Nitu Garcha now with more on what's next for both the board and the campers. Walking with the legal team who helped advocate for him and others who live in Crab Park, this is a pivotal moment in Clint Randon's life. I'm going 47 this month and this is the first time I ever feel like I, my opinion matters. This after a judge quashed the park board's attempts to evict them. Kind of mind-blowing a little bit, right? Well, as I said, it was kind of overwhelming. I'm still kind of absorbing it. He says especially because his partner, Carrie, one of the petitioners in the case, outlined the hardship of having to carry some 500 pounds of gear throughout the day if an injunction compelling everyone to decamp each morning were approved and the judge acknowledged that. It's among the uniquely exceptional circumstances highlighted in the decision, along with citing daytime sheltering is a necessity and a lack of concern about serious risks to the lives or safety of the public, and that granting an injunction now could simply move the encampment to another neighborhood. Which is what happened when Oppenheimer Park and Strathcona Park were cleared out, making this case different and precedent setting, say the lawyers who helped fight the evictions. It's not something where, uh, as is the case in many tent cities, uh, where uh, there's an injunction imminently coming and you need to go on the defensive. This, uh, this decision was brought forward by the hard work of the, the people living here. The Vancouver Park Board says it acknowledges there's work to do and it accepts the decision, which notes there are not sufficient options for housing. What we will do is continue to work with the folks at Crab. The eventual goal is that we want people, uh, you know, indoors in housing and, and we'll assist our partners in trying to achieve that. As the Park Board assesses whether to appeal, Clint, who says he was just 12 when he started living on the streets. I came home one day after getting a bit of a fight with my family and I took off for the weekend and when I came back, the house was empty. Is feeling proud of his fellow Crab Park residents. We sit together and we help each other out, right? We got um, you know, insulated tarps and we just tough it out. For showing resilience in more ways than one as they successfully spoke out on their right to safe shelter. Nitu Garcia, Global News, Vancouver. Coming up, an international dispute over BC salmon. That's a big threat to us and that's a big threat to our lifestyle. American fishers accused of plundering salmon from a BC First Nation that depends on it. And in sports, the creator of the Canucks Lunar New Year jersey and why he has an audience of billions. Final clearing stages of a crash here in Vancouver, southbound on Knight Street near 53rd Avenue. Two lanes are blocked, two lanes, sorry, one lane is blocked, two lanes are getting by. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at bcaa.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One. High above a crash in Vancouver. A BC First Nation wants American fishing boats to back off, citing a new report showing Alaskan fishers 
are catching hundreds of thousands of fish destined for our waterways. The Chilcotin Nation says it's unfair that it's all happening while B.C. boats are stuck on shore. And as Paul Johnson reports, it wants a review of the international agreement between Canada and the U.S. And it was determined you know, by the Royal Commission that Chilcotin people ate more sockeye salmon than any First Nation in British Columbia. Take a look at the traditional dip net fishery that the Chilcotin people still practice in their territory. And you can understand why they were alarmed by a report from two conservation groups that commercial fishermen in Alaska are landing a lot of salmon bound for B.C. rivers. Being where we're at, we're, we're the end users. Everybody else has, has a shot at our fish before it comes back, back into its homeland as far as we're concerned. So we always get the short end of the stick. That run was severely affected by the Boston Bar Slide on the Fraser River, which the Chilco Lake run has to swim through to spawn. So any additional pressure as those fish swim through American waters is another threat to the Chilcotin fishery. And a good chunk of that is going to the Alaskans. Recognizing that our salmon migrate across international borders on the Pacific coast, Canada and the U.S. try to jointly manage the commercial fisheries through the Pacific Salmon Commission. But the Chilcotins are saying that nation-to-nation dialogue now needs to include another nation with skin in the game, them. And while they say they've been asking Ottawa for a seat at the table, so far they say they've gotten nowhere. Global News reached out to the Department of Fisheries and Oceans Friday, but didn't hear back. The Chilcotins say their next move is likely going to be through the courts. To control lots and to maintain healthy runs, you need strong agreement with the United States. And that's where the Pacific Salmon Commission comes in. And, uh, and that's why we want, we want to be there and we want to have a say. Paul Johnson, Global News. Now, just a few minutes ago, the Department of Fisheries did respond to our request. It says it knows how important it is to protect and restore the Pacific salmon population. And that's why Ottawa has committed $647 million to the Pacific Salmon Strategy Initiative. It also says DFO officials are reviewing the report on Alaskan fisheries. Coming up, the Canucks embrace the Year of the Tiger. Chinese calligraphy is beautiful. It's art in and of itself. The artist who designed the Lunar New Year jersey and the symbolism hidden in the design. And how attitudes about catching COVID are changing and why that might be dangerous. Traffic is steady in both directions over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge, but it looks like there is a stalled semi underneath it on Highway 17. With BCAA Insurance, it's easy to renew from anywhere. From ICBC Auto Plan renewals to exclusive savings, visit BCAA.com today. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. The rise of the Omicron variant is making the stress of the pandemic even worse for many people, even more so for those on the front lines. The Canadian Mental Health Association has seen a spike in calls with people seeking support, many of them from healthcare workers. Healthcare workers are in a very long sprint 
which is really getting quite intolerable. I've talked to them and to hear someone say, look, I've been in a hazmat suit for two years now delivering service and, and it's, it's not getting better, it's getting worse. Is, is very, very difficult. We're in what could be called like the COVID whiplash phase. I mean, we we thought we were getting there and then whoop, we got right back to a place of, you know, different restrictions um, and, and different risks. We all have to be able to take care of ourselves and each other. The experts say the best advice for anyone who's feeling overwhelmed, don't be afraid to reach out for help. Well, doctors are hoping to end any thought that contracting Omicron, even if you're fully vaccinated and boosted, will be a walk in the park. As Kylie Stanton reports, the ongoing uncertainty around COVID-19 means no one should let their guard down. Nearly two years in, the pandemic has taken a toll on everyone, but some more than others. You know, I can no longer exercise. I can't stand for more than a few minutes. Like activities of daily living are exhausting. I mean, it's a laundry list of kind of ongoing stuff, all triggered by uh, my COVID infection. McLean tested positive in September of 2020 and has been dealing with the long-term effects ever since. I would love to go back in time and not have, you know, not be dealing with this now. But doctors warn there's a growing number of people either actively trying to get the virus or simply letting their guard down. We are getting into now our third year of the pandemic and I think we keep keep on mentioning pandemic fatigue, but I think that's uh, becoming perhaps more acute. Add to that the sheer number of cases. Virtually everyone knows someone who's been infected. And so that's also unique in that a lot of people have direct experience and sometimes that can change people's perception about risk. Which is different, which is different from even uh, in November um, when Delta was, uh, was circulating in our province. So it has changed our thinking. While some may still get quite ill, evidence shows the Omicron variant is overall much less severe in nature. Vaccinations and boosters allowing the vast majority of those infected to recover at home. But there is still so much we don't know. If I tell you that, you know, only 3% of this population might have been hospital on an individual level, you'll have no idea if you're going to be part of the 3% or 97%. Another unknown, whether or not there are any long-term effects. McLean is asking people to put themselves in her shoes and consider the possibilities. You can't say who's going to end up like me and who's not. It's very risky to kind of throw caution to the wind like that and not try to protect yourself. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Still ahead, keeping a cool head when everything is burning. Sheriff's office, sheriff's office. New video of the heroes who saved a lot of lives, human and animals, during Colorado's Marshall Fire. And a Canadian soccer star sidelined by COVID. Why Alfonso Davies is getting a lot of rest. We are getting a first-hand look tonight at the bravery displayed by police officers in Colorado when a fast-moving wildfire closed in on a community last month. The local police department has released body cam video of officers helping people and animals to safety and clearing stores, and there is no shortage of heroic moments. <laughs> in choking smoke, they went door-to-door to, door to tell people. Sheriff's office! Sheriff's office! 
In some places, the fire was only feet away, the heat on them. All this deputy could do was ring and retreat. Ma'am, you have to evacuate. Yeah, we are. We're back. We're okay. Back. We're leaving let's right load now. up and let's go, okay? okay. They herded horses from stables. They herded dogs on the roads. Follow me. After the fire, many people talked about how it had worked. They nailed it. They got on it early. They came and they knocked on our door and they said, you have to leave now. So when we got that, we just headed out. Many quick decisions were made. Okay, do I bring my suitcase or no? Bring whatever is absolutely essential. I don't have much room, but we can fit what we can. And communication no. gaps bridge. Don't hit the car. You don't have a car? No. Get in. Back this side. Back door, back door. Inside the Costco and Superior, a deputy had no time to mince words. East, go. Evacuate. Everybody head east. Go towards 36. Move now. Leave your stuff. Go. The fire's at the back. Go. In the store, shoppers begin to flow out. Evacuate Costco now. Head eastbound. Leave your carts. Go. As it emptied, some were slower than others. But this was a fire they could not tempt. Alan Janae, CBS News, Boulder County, Colorado. Incredible. The drama. Mm -hmm. All right, let's see what's to come on the weekend here in weather. Christy joins us now. Thanks so much. So not a bad weekend in store for us across the South Coast. I just want to quickly tell you about a purple sky that we were seeing all across the South Coast and parts of the uh, all of BC today. Uh, first, a quick explanation of why we see different colors during sunrise and sunsets. Generally, what happens is when the sun is low on the horizon, the uh, sun's light actually travels through a larger part of the atmosphere. So the smaller particles or sorry, the smaller wavelengths like uh, purples and blues get scattered way and what ends up coming to our eyes is more of the reds and the oranges that's why we see those colors but this morning what happened is that the pink colors or wavelengths that were created from the sunset actually create an optical illusion when there's cloud cover it actually gets reflected off the base of the cloud now when that cloud is dark or the sky behind it is dark that pinky hue can actually look more like a purple and that's what we saw in many parts of the province this morning so thank you to everyone everyone who shared our photos with us. Now, when we look at the forecast, we are going to see rain across the north and central coast. Some rain expected overnight across our region as well, easing during the day tomorrow with mainly cloudy skies expected for the south coast and just a very slight chance of showers. More rain, though, pushing into the north coast by Sunday. So the forecast for the north coast is looking wet. We will see rain or sorry, snow changing to rain for the Columbia and the Kootenai region tomorrow. For our region, we'll see some breaks of blue sky across the south coast, mainly cloudy for our region, but very little moisture expected during the day. It's mainly just overnight that we'll see the rainfall. Tonight's central windows weather window, another pink hue, this one a little bit different, where the sunrise colors are reflecting off of the fog in the Lillooet area, creating this incredible pink hue. Back to you guys. So pretty. Thank Nature's you, Christy. amazing. All right. Canadian soccer star Alfonso Davies is dealing with a heart muscle issue after contracting COVID-19. The 21-year-old's return to the pitch following a bout with COVID has been put on hold with his German team, Bayern Munich, saying he is showing signs of an inflammation of the heart muscle. Bayern's manager says the problem was detected in a follow-up exam that all players who've had COVID have to go through, adding that an ultrasound showed a a sign of myocarditis. Canada Soccer says Davies, who is from Edmonton and once played for the Whitecaps, has been ruled out of Canada's three World Cup qualifiers coming up later this month and next.
Big blow to the team, but we'll still be cheering. Uh, at the Australian Open, it might go ahead without the world's number one tennis player. This after the government of Australia revoked the visa of Novak Djokovic again. The latest volley in an extended dispute over the Serbian star's bid to circumvent the country's COVID-19 vaccination policy. Here's Eric Sorensen. His practice sessions in Rod Laver Stadium gave every appearance that Novak Djokovic would be sticking around to defend his Australian Open tennis title. But the government was not prepared to accept a judge's decision that he could stay. On the eve of Monday's Grand Slam event, Alex Hawk, Australia's immigration minister, issued an order to cancel Djokovic's visa on health and good order grounds on the basis that it was in the public interest to do so. The government does not believe Djokovic had a valid medical exemption for being unvaccinated. And in a country with strict vaccine rules, there is wide support for keeping him from playing. Oh, I just think it's really unfair that people that are considered sports people get treated differently to everybody else. It's not over yet. Djokovic will be taken to his lawyers Saturday and a higher court will hear his appeal on Sunday. The Australian Open draw is already set. 128 players have qualified for the first round, and Djokovic is at the very top. He's the number one seed. If Djokovic is forced out, it will be a big loss for the tournament. A former number one in tennis sympathizes, but only to a point. Yeah, in a country like Australia, you know, you, you need to be vaccinated to, to come in. Ultimately, people, you know, have to make their own choices. Um, but there is also consequences uh, sometimes. Djokovic's decisions, not getting vaccinated, not isolating after testing positive, and not submitting an accurate account of his travels, all threatened to tarnish his image. There's a whole string of other assumptions and uh, sort of examples of arrogance and entitlement that he and his team and his parents, um, promoters and so on, have been making throughout the whole fiasco. A fiasco for everyone, it seems, including the Australian government's handling of the case. Djokovic hopes the federal court will decide his fate on Sunday, just hours before the first serve in the Australian Open. Eric Sorensen, Global News, Toronto. All right. He double-faulted on his visa. <laughs> yeah. If you make rules, you've got to enforce them, I guess. All right, here's Squire. Uh, we'll talk to Trevor Lai coming up. He's the uh, man who designed the Canucks Lunar New Year uniform, and he told us today... How to say we are all Canucks and Mandarin. Uh, How the design came about and the meanings behind the design too. Also tonight, satellite debris. Smell the smell. He's thinking where's that smell coming from? Yikes for Canada soccer, but they've got some great players besides Alfonso Davies. Well, that is the key for Canada now. I mean, the bad news, as you mentioned before the break, is Canada's men's soccer team is not going to have its best player for its next three World Cup qualifying games. Alfonso Davies does have an inflammation of his heart, which could be linked with getting COVID recently. So he's not going to play in the stretch of three games coming up. Honduras, the U.S., and El Salvador, those games are between January 24th and February 2nd. Now, the good news is Canada has a lot of talented players in support of that man, Alfonso Davies. He's obviously our best, but as we saw, for example, in the game against Mexico up in Edmonton, the Canadians have 
other guys with skills to score and play the fast-paced style that has kept Canada unbeaten in the final round of World Cup qualifying so far. And the Vancouver Whitecaps have signed defender Javian Brown to uh, a new contract uh, through 2024. Javian Brown has started 20 games for Vancouver last year. Very good defender, but he also is a decent playmaker and has played eight times internationally for Jamaica, and he's only 22, so big plus for the Whitecaps going forward. Uh, so far on the Canucks' five-game road trip, which incidentally continues tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. our time in Carolina, Vancouver has been missing goals from its main players. The four guys who've scored so far on this trip, Yuho Lamico, Jason Dickinson, Tyler Mott, and Matthew Highmore. And while it's nice to get secondary scoring, you need primary scoring to win. And last night against Tampa, the top guns really failed, especially on the power play, because according to the coach, they weren't shooting enough. Uh, you know, we don't have the guy with the bomb from the point, but at the same time, if you shoot and you get inside uh, on, the, on the power play, you're going you're gonna to score goals. You just got to get pucks through. And I think sometimes we're trying to be too cute, and that's got to change. Forty years ago, the only Tiger associated with the Canucks was named Williams. This year, the Tiger will be on the front of the Canucks warm-up jerseys celebrating Lunar New Year when they play Edmonton on January 23rd. The proceeds from the merchandise of the jerseys will help eliminate hate, the organization that does just that, eliminates hate. The artist who designed it is Burnaby's Trevor Lai, who is the CEO of Up Studios in China. Trevor Lai was asked to design the Canucks Year of the Tiger uniform. He was given a blank canvas, so to speak, to reimagine everything. Oh, they gave me more room than I thought. I thought I was on a, you know, five on five and they gave me a five on three power play. You know? <laughs> they allowed him to change the orca into a tiger. But the fin was left in place for a reason. Well, let's cap it off by using the Chinese character for Tiger. Chinese calligraphy is beautiful. It's art in and of itself. So why not use it like that? And so if you're Chinese, you're going to see that character right away. If you're not Chinese, you're just going to see this interesting shape. And then you're going to be curious. And then you're going to find out that means Tiger. And you're going to be like, that's cool. What's also cool about the uniform is Chinatown's Millennium Gate on the shoulder patch with Chinese characters to spell out the Canucks name. In the patch that I put on the shoulder, I put the Chinese characters Jia Ren Dui inside of the three Millennium Gate, you know, gateways. And so each of those words actually has its own meaning. So Jia for Canada means diversity uh, in my design. So we are all so diverse in this community. Ren, we're all the same people. You know, no matter what ethnicity you are, we're all the same people. That goes in the middle gateway. And then Dui, we're all a team. So the Canucks are obviously a team, but all of us together as a community, we are a team. And teams go through good times, they go through bad times, and we've got to pull together. And so that's why I use the characters in that specific way in the patch. Trevor first connected with the Canucks through his creation, Boomy, a cartoon that has over 5 billion, yes, with a B, 5 billion views and counting. That's how we got started. And... So I filmed those interviews with the players, posted them, and we got millions of views. And then I said, what can, more can we do? Finally, last year, once I saw this anti-Asian anti you know, activity happening in my hometown, I said, we got to do more. And that's really how this kicked off. 
you know, I saw that clip of Bo wearing the jersey. I'm so proud of that. And I think when fans see all the players, the entire team wearing it, it's going to be a really exciting moment. Despite no NHL players competing, Canada still has a good shot at gold in the Olympics coming up. But today, Hockey Canada named Claude Julien the head coach. Shane Doan is the GM and former Canucks assistant Nolan Baumgartner will be on Canucks or make that Canada's coaching staff as well. Canada will start training in Switzerland on Monday. They'll name a roster of 25 players plus five on the taxi squad. We haven't heard any names yet, but the roster, they say, will be made up of players from seven different leagues around the world. And we don't know, of course, if Novak Djokovic will play the Australian Open, but we do know that Vancouver's Rebecca Marino will play. She qualified last night. She will take on Marie Buskova, who is ranked 80th in the first round. Marino is ranked 146. And Adam Svensson is fourth right now at the Sony Open in Hawaii. He, of course, from Surrey. There you go. All right. Thanks, Squire. Enjoying the good weather there. Okay, we're back. And we'll smell that smell on satellite debris. All right, time to end the week, Squire, with satellite debris, as always. And we'll start out with some new ones. Uh, the first is from, uh, I think it's called Skinny Pop. You think I would know this because I put it together, but Skinny Pop popcorn. Here we go. doing tonight it is it's a whole bag kind of night uh all right this uh, next one is from uh, king price insurance uh, it fits the times you'll know what i mean doctor said, if I want to have a long life with my wife, I have to get waxed. Waxed? Mm. And in six weeks, I have to do it again. Waxed? Vaccinated? Oh. Strange Times calls for strangely simple insurance. King Price Insurance. Oopsie. You gotta listen. Painful. Okay, uh, Zaxby's restaurant has, um, I know Chris likes this one, a guy in a buffalo wing. You'll know what I mean. Smell that smell. One day the guy on the buffalo wing was riding around in a forest. Smell the smell. He's thinking, where's that smell coming from? Feels like maybe over there. So he moseyed on over, pulled back 
bellowing And he hopped on up And he looked in the bush And he saw the warm golden glow Of a buffalo garlic glazed meal From Zaxby's Oh, I'm gonna take this with me to go <laughs> It's great One day the guy on the buffalo wing Saw a fox in the weeds He's thinking that fox seems shady No, he's probably harmless enough I'll just let him go ah, See you, little fella And then he found a hedgehog jammed down in a log and pulled him out and they became best friends. They went back to the buffalo wing to snack down those Axbees, but the food was gone. That sneaking fox stole that meal. Oh, but you know what? I got I got an idea, says the hedgehog. I got something stashed in an old stuff. Ooh, oh, it's a buffalo garlic glazed meal. That's what I was just eating. Ooh, it's tantalizing. Let's sit down and eat it. Mmm, I forget. good. Well, if it isn't the chicken wing thief. Sorry, man, I'm a fox. It's kind of my thing. Truce? Ah, come here, man. We're cool. Oh, it's a guy on a buffalo wing. A guy in a buffalo wing. <laughs> Who wrote that? The song is very descriptive. Is it? Very I was... descriptive. I was at a point there, I was like, how long is this going to go on? Because it's cracking me up. <laughs> it was great. All right, uh, there could be some soccer, dry soccer for parents and kids out there this weekend, Christy. Yeah, so most of the rain will happen overnight, Chris. Certainly dry now. It's still a few showers possible, but overall dry. You're exactly right. Great news for soccer players. It's been a long time for them. Sure is. All right, have a great weekend, everybody. Good night, all.